0: Our reading comes from Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 32. Jesus is hanging on the cross at this point. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place of the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one to his right and one to his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes and cast by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him, offering him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open this word to us and show us what you would have us see, what you would have us hear, and what you would have us know, and transform us by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have three characters in this story All three of them are hanging on the cross. All three of them are in excruciating pain. You have Jesus in the center. You have a thief on the left and a thief on the right. And they are having this conversation with Jesus. Obviously not a normal conversation because the agony that they're in prevents them from breathing properly, prevents them from thinking clearly. But what they show in that conversation is a very, very different approach to who Jesus is and what the ultimate outcome is. We need to understand that both of these thieves are suffering. Both of them are guilty. Both can see that Jesus has a sign hanging over his head that says, the king of the Jews. They can both hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They're both desperate to be saved from death. I want to pause for just a moment and ask why is this in the Bible? We need to know this. So the Gospel of Luke in the Bible that I looked at is 36 pages long, actually 35 and a half. And this story takes up almost a half a page. And so out of that incredibly narrow biography of the entire life of Jesus, we're given a half a page to tell about the, dis- the discussion that he had, this conversation while hanging on the cross with these two thieves. So it has to matter. And here's why I think it matters. It matters. It matters because we can identify with these two thieves. We can identify with one or we can identify with the other. God is giving us a choice. He's calling us to approach him in one of these two ways. So as we look at this passage, as we look at how they did, how they approached God, how they thought about God, how they spoke to Jesus and each other, ask yourself this, which of these sounds like me in my suffering? in the things I'm going through, in the things I'm worried about, in the things I don't see the end of. The first thief accuses Jesus. It's almost an accusation. It's an accusatory form that says, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. He approaches Jesus as a tool, as if Jesus is a mop there to clean up a mess. And then as soon as the mess is cleaned up, you stick him back in a closet and hope he doesn't bother you, hope you don't think about him, hope that he doesn't come up in your mind or show up when guests are present. He's there as a tool. The thief doesn't even notice Jesus as a person. It's just a tool. How do I get out of this mess that I'm in? How do I get out of this pain that I'm in? And we have a a, a way that we can approach God it says that we are in a mess. God, please help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And the minute that we're done with that prayer, it's over. There's no relationship. There's no care. There's no nothing. Just back in the closet. Hopefully I don't think about you until the next time I need a tool. The second thief has a totally different approach. The second thief looks at Jesus. And first of all, It's amazing. The first thing that he does is actually resist the first thief. Because his whole opening statement, his whole opening response has to do with addressing the first thief. And then he turns and speaks to Jesus. But he doesn't get suckered into the, if God is good, then why is this happening? If God is good, then why are there locusts plaguing Kenya? If God is good, why is Australia still on fire? If God is good in 2020, in March and April, why are we in our homes, afraid to go out, afraid to be around other people, afraid of the coronavirus? But he doesn't get suckered into that. Instead, he says, don't you fear God? Don't you fear God? Don't you know that this is not like just a normal person that you're having a chat with? Don't you fear God? Don't you respect him? And then he says this. He says, We are being punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. He acknowledges not only that they're both guilty, he acknowledges that he's being punished for something that he actually did, for something that both of the thieves actually did. And it's a very different thing to say, Yes, I admit I was wrong. And it's very different to actually say, and I deserve the punishment. I deserve the outcome. I deserve the consequences. But he goes all the way to that point and says, I am deserving of being on a cross. I am deserving of my suffering. I am deserving of being where I am. And then he points at Jesus, and he recognizes Jesus not as a tool, but as a human being, as somebody who matters and who feels things and who is experiencing something. And he says, but this man has done nothing wrong. He points at Jesus and he says, this man's done nothing wrong and yet he's suffering just like we are. We deserve to be here. Jesus does not. And then he turns to Jesus and he addresses him as king. He addresses him as if there's something that, is, that Jesus can do that's beyond just get me down off this cross. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You are the king of the Jews, he's saying. You are the king of something at least. And even if I don't fully understand it, I recognize your kingship. And I'm not going to micromanage exactly what I want you to do. Instead, I'm just going to ask you to remember me. I'm going to ask you to have mercy on me. I'm going to ask you to see me and offer some sort of hope for the future. And Jesus doesn't answer the first thief. He doesn't say we have nothing recorded. We only have Jesus turning to the second thief and said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. And as we look at these thieves and we look at our reactions to things, and we look at our reaction to pain, to pain in the world, to pain in our own lives, to unknowing, to this virus that's kept us home where we do not know the outcome. I need you to know that these two thieves knew that they weren't getting down off the cross. And they knew that even if miraculously somebody were to have mercy on them and take them down off the cross, they didn't have wound care. They didn't have antibiotics to have your wrists pierced To have your feet pierced, to hang on the cross like that was a death sentence by infection later, at least, even if you were taken down off the cross. So they knew that wasn't a possibility. And so they had to look forward through death. And that's what this passage actually invites us to do. We're going to die. Every one of us is going to die. Some soon, some maybe not for a long time. But we're invited to look through death and say, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you and your kingdom are established. And if we humble ourselves and we say we are guilty of all that we suffer and if there's good, it's because of God's grace. It's because of God's love. It's because God made us in his image to start with. But we have so completely botched it that our only consequence is to hang on the cross with Christ. If you look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I know that's true for me. Do you know that's true for you? That Jesus loved you and gave himself. So in tonight, today, this afternoon, next year, 20 years from now, when you're in your bed and you're breathing your last breath, are you looking at the Son of God and saying, Jesus, I know that you will remember me because I have already been crucified with Christ and I live already alive in you. Pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we adore you for the gift of glory one for us this day. By your death upon the cross, we pray that as your cross is lifted up among us, all who see it may lay hold of you and with you know the sure and certain hope that heaven is their home. Amen.